really quickly, Tasha, just before you come up, I'm going to ask Tasha up and um, when Natasha was, what are you, Tash, how informal do you feel? Like, do you feel at home enough? Okay. Um, just before Tash comes, I'm going to ask her a few questions, introduce herself, and then I'm going to, she's going to share with us. Um, but just conscious, there's, um, you cannot avoid the horror that is going on in our world at the minute. Cannot avoid it. It is honestly painful, heartbreaking stuff. Um, but there's two people that, that penned a book a number of years ago. And so I, I'm not necessarily, I'm not here to make any comment this morning, but I really, really want to commend this book to you and commend these people to you. This book called Through My Enemy's Eyes. It's been written by a, it's been written by a Messianic Jewish lady and uh, a Palestinian Christian. And in the introduction, like I felt like I've started reading this again for the third time through. And um, and honestly, that you can almost feel their heart in the first in the introduction because they're acknowledging that this is painful. This was a painful journey. This book was a painful journey, but they recognized as brother and sister in Jesus that they needed to write it. And so they're honest about their history and their theology, and they they're honest about how you, how they clashed along the way. But this is a gift, I think, to the church, and I just want to I just want to offer it to you because there's so many so many unfair, untrue nonsense narratives that are out there, and some of them come from the church. And so, uh, if you don't want to read the book and you just want to go onto a website, the the website that is connected to this to the, the this ministry is Musahala. M-U-S-A-H-A-L-A, Musahala, and again, I commend that to you. If you just want to think well through what you're seeing on, um, and you want to hear it from people who are on the ground, who have lived this, who that is their story, um, please, uh, I was going to offer this, but I'm not finished with it again, so get your own. Tash, come on ahead. Um, go back. Um, introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? Tell us about your family. That's half my talk gone, so <laughs> here we are. I don't know why Neil's pretending that he didn't want to embarrass you because he's done a lot worse behind your back. Um, yeah, so my name is Tash, Tasha, T, whatever you want to call me. Um, McBride. Um, and I come all the way from Portadown, which is how many miles up the road? Six, is it? Who knows? Because I'm really Belfast born and bred. So we're just blue ins and we lead church in Portadown, Elam. So please do not hold that against us. And Ross does know I'm here. The past few Sundays I've been out different places and I'm like, I just don't know if he looks down and he realizes, oh, she's not here today. <laughs> and my kids are just running amok. <laughs> but yeah, um, and I am here, I suppose. Neil asked me to come. Um, I now work with Home for Good. I'm really conscious not to kind of go over stuff that you guys are really, really well first in. Um, but I stepped into the role officially, I suppose, January. So it was December, January time. Um, and I am the NI coordinator for Home for Good. As you can see, the lovely banner. So, Well, just in case, I know, uh, in case not everybody does know about Home for Good, um, visitors, people that have been under a rock, whatever, uh, let people know, give people a quick snapshot of who Home for Good is, what they're about. Okay, Home for Good. Um, 
as many probably do know, is a UK Christian charity that operates in the space of fostering and adoption and supported lodgings. Um, so that is who we are. We continue to have the bull vision from its origin and we still carry it that we love and we believe that we will see um, a home for every child who needs one through one of those incredible options. Um, that's really what you need to know. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Well, my role at the minute is looking after all our beautiful um, folk in Northern Ireland, um, engaging church leaders and getting it on the agenda of churches because God is really doing something amazing amongst churches, but there's still a lot of um, ground to take. And what has been a private concern for many, many years, we're trying to get on the agenda that this is actually public theology, that justice is threaded, which I'm gonna to touch on at the beginning, it's threaded throughout scripture. It's unavoidable. It is It is a mandate. It is something not to be ignored. But in, in, as well as all of that, um, I get to work alongside our Health and Social Care Trust, which is a real privilege, and sit in some meetings and some venues with them. Um, and just to bring that hope and light in a very, very bleak situation. We're not naive. However, God has called us to be countercultural, and he's called us to step into this space, and we want to steward that really, really well. So in light of that, we try to get inquiries. We help sustain foster carers and adoptive parents as well. And just really, wherever, wherever doors open, just try and go through that and do it, do it well with a whole lot of grace. We don't have the answers. However, Jesus is the answer. And we genuinely believe church is the avenue to bring transformational change to our care system. So. Um, thank you. Uh, tell us how, how significant was the foundation that was led for you to step in that's uh, so self-indulgent, isn't it? Um, there's a David in his announcements. There's one announcement that is really important that we want to be have firmly in our calendar. Can you tell us about it? And yeah, my birthday is in August the tenth. <laughs> um, and yes, on that note, I know that was self-indulgent. Like I have massive shoes to fill with Judith, Neil and Judith are close friends of ours, and Melina. And what was pioneered, pioneered, pioneered here is incredible. And it's an absolute privilege to follow in their footsteps. Um, but yes, on Saturday, the 4th of November is our NI Summit. So it's back after a few years absent. We are elated that it's back. It's an opportunity. If you don't have it in your calendar, please do come. You don't already need to be fostering um, and you don't need to already be an adoptive parent. But if you're interested at all of how you can play your part or to get more information in that, please, please do come. It'll be a day of inspiration. If you're already caring in that capacity, come. We really believe it's a day of encouragement. And I really felt God like speak, speak to me and we share it amongst team. That's, it feels like a recommissioning, um, not even just in this space, but just as Jesus followers. But it's going to be a day of recommissioning, a day of connection, a day of just get back almost to ground zero and remember why we do what we do. Um, but yes, get that in the diary. That would be awesome. And you're more welcome. FM Bright, type in Hopeful or NI Summit or Home for Good or something. It'll come up. Or follow the link that we will send into the WhatsApp group. Yeah, that's really good, Tash. Um, and, and just as someone who does, like, has adopted and fosters, whenever people come, people that come to those events just to know how they can support is one of the greatest encouragements for, for me and I know for other foster carers that people will come just to see how they can 
base support. So like the invite is far and wide for uh, for the NI Summit. Um, let me pray for you. Uh, because I get Stan sitting chat here. This is fun. Um, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for thank you for Tash. Thank you for the the work of Home for Good. And we continue to champion and celebrate. Thank you for um, thank you for even this idea of recommissioning. And um, and God, there's something about that that is that feels right, and that something about Tash being in that role at this time feels right. And we thank you for her. Thank you for the calling clearly on her for this. Thank you for the passion um, and the experience, um, the heart, God, to to run with this, to lead this. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would speak to us today. I pray you would give us ears to hear what, you're, what the Spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you so much for allowing me to come. Usually, if a church leader asks you to come, you don't really get a say. So I really apologize if this is heartbreaking for you. Um, and you were expecting Neil to come and give the word today, but it is a real honor. Um, and usually when you come to prepare a message or um, whether it's to do with Home for Good or whether it's just to do the women's ministry or you get to um, come to join church services, you do you do give out a bit. I'm not saying, I'm not being self-loathing like Neil, but you give out. But what you're always blown away by is, is how God just blesses you in these different places and spaces in January this morning. It was so significant just to be part of this house and what God is doing and what he's saying. That worship was stunning, yet powerful. How we were brought around the table was so significant. And I want to thank you for that. And I think God is saying something across churches at the minute with David shared this morning about um, becoming that lion. It's only over the past few weeks. Ross has been speaking as well. You know that song, Gratitude, about that song where, yes, it's a worship to God, but it's where we sing to each other, like to each other's souls, like, come on, my soul. There's something in that to help take some ground. And I suppose it comes off our little boy. He's a rocket. Um, but one of his favorite songs is he would say, put on the lion song, daddy. And he means that song, put the lion song, daddy. Now, the other night at half three in the morning, he was saying, I, 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 I. And it was like, honestly come on, I'll go back to the lamb song. Um, but there's just something that God is speaking about, like speaking to that lamb within us to, to come on, come on church. But um, this is going to seem so bizarre this morning. I just felt uh, led to, to speak from the book of Jonah. I really am conscious you don't want to hear my voice the whole time. I was going to get you guys to sit and read it, but you know, my new ministry started two for one apparently. So I've got LJ to come. She's going to go and read the book of Juna. If you have your Bible with you, um, either open it or switch it on. And she's just going to come and read the book of Juna, the whole book, but I promise it's only about 30 or 40 verses. Like it's not. She exaggerates. It's nearly 50. Alrighty. So if my dulcet tones put you to sleep, I'm very sorry. Try to stay with me. Okay. I also didn't bring my glasses. Because I told Tasha I wasn't going to do this. Then I felt for her. And the whole two for one, all out there. Right, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarnish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsh, Tarshish. So he, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He then said to him, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against you. Against them. We don't use some of these words, sure we don't. Therefore, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then he said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. <clears throat> Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. <clears throat> the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. 
let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant because when dawn had come the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it weathered. When the sun rose, God appointed a searching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Sorry, she says over big time. It was just so that we're not dipping in and out. And a, thanks for bearing with. I promise it's more than um, a kid's story, as we'll find out. And in the short time that we have, I was hoping that we could unpack some of that are we okay for time? What time is it? Um, I turn my watch off because Siri talks to you. Are we? What time do you finish at? Shut the front door. And God said, Amen. Um, yeah, I'll not keep you long. What? <laughs> um, so yeah, if you were to bar, you can just ignore this whole bit. Um, but I want to fire out the word justice to you. It's something that a lot of people in this room are really accustomed with and probably act upon. And two things come to mind when we think about, well, for me personally, when we think about justice, the first thing is we, um, our pet rabbit is called justice, um, as random as it is, more random that he is the same color as this carpet. Um, and so is our carpet in the living room. So he's always damaged he's physically damaged because all we do is stand on him um, and when we lose him at night we have to go out on our back doorstep and literally we are calling for justice to come home it's a real real treat for our neighbors to hear us shouting justice who doesn't even know his name anyway so that's the first thing that comes to mind the second thing that comes to my mind is the opposite and it's it's injustice it is the the thing that comes to our hearts and our minds when we look at media when we look in our neighborhoods we don't have to look too far, actually. It's the unfairness that surrounds us. And sometimes it feels as though it's closing in. But what I have to take stock of is my response. I see it. I know that. But what am I doing about it? And threaded throughout the whole of scripture is this theme of justice. 
Um, there's lots of scriptures that nod to it. We'll not go into it all now. Um, and we don't have to, we don't have to look too far. And we'll refer back to Jonah in a moment. But there's this beautiful passage of Mark, and it's Mark 12, 28 to 32. And it talks about when the scribes come up to Jesus and they're really questioning him and they're really questioning who he is and what he's talking about. But Jesus answers them when they're asking, oh, what is the most commandment, the most important commandment of all? And Jesus answers, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, Lord, our God is one and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, to love the neighbor as you love yourself. There's none greater than these. And it is a direct echo from Deuteronomy 6, where we first read that. And the love it talks about there is actually agape love. It's agape love where it is a choice. It's not dependable on how lovable a person is. It's choosing to delight in someone, seeing the best in them, advocating for them, you know, regardless of who they are, what they've done, no matter what. And then this morning in, in churches across our nation, and we're all gathered to worship in various different ways, we have to be drawn back to the fact that our worship is inseparable from the pursuit of justice. And as God's people, we are called to live spaces on the margin for those who are on the margins of society. It's fruit, it's what you've probably heard lots, you know, talked about here is radical hospitality. And hospitality is what it looks like to bring justice home. Um, Chris Kandai said, I can't take any credit for it. But that's what it looks like. But what really hits home to me is that that even involves when it's ugly, when it's messy, when it's awkward and uncomfortable. You see, missional living, hospitable thinking is countercultural. It's a Jesus paradox. Example of that is that Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. And Jonah struggled hugely with this before Jesus came and he walked with men. Jonah was already struggling massively with this. He questions God's love for the unjust. And the lessons that I've taken away from Jonah and privilege you could take away is, is his response and how it can help us reevaluate as Jesus followers where our boundary lines maybe lie when it comes to agape, when it comes to loving others. You see, the book of Jonah is actually more than the fish. And the truth is, uncomfortably, I've seen myself like him at times throughout my life. It is a book where it's full of the unexpected. It's full of stereotype characters where the opposite would happen than what you expect. It is the story of the promise breaker versus the promise keeper. And it just simply messes with you. The book doesn't actually focus like the other minor prophets on the prophet, but the story is actually about a prophet who resents his own God, which makes no sense. It is unique. It is Jonah, you take him, and he's the representation of Israel. It's God's promised people who broke their promise to obey time and time again. It's the promise breaker versus the promise keeper. But through them, throughout the Old Testament, God wants to do his work in the world, across our nations. It is more than the fish. And what can happen when we come to books like Jonah is that we, we read it and we look at it through the lens of our childhood. You know, like, have you heard the tale of Jonah and the whale? All that kind of stuff. But what, what we find ourselves is we kind of we dilute it. We kind of maybe set it aside and keep it for those moments for kids. And don't get me wrong, scripture is absolutely foundational for our children, for our young people. And that includes us making it bite-sized, consumable portions for them to understand. But sometimes we don't revisit passages like this because we think it's just all about the fish and it doesn't really you know, relate to us. And I'm not here to defend too much because, to be honest, Jonah is a bit of a tube in this. I'm not saying you're all to leave here thinking, oh, I'm a bit like Jonah and feel awful about it. 
The purpose of and the style of writing, that's exactly what was to come across. It was not exaggerated as such, but they've used the type of writing to draw our attention to, 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 to his personality and his response. And it's all a wee bit extra because Jonah is a bit extra. So we introduced Jonah, Jonah, the prophet who hates his own God. It's quite dramatic and it's ironic. And the first thing is this, which where I have found myself in the same shoes as Justice, is that Jonah separates himself. And throughout it, you have to ask yourself, how does this, what does this mean in relation to missional thinking and justice? And we just need to look that bit closer. And the first thing I notice that he separates himself, he runs. He's running from where God has positioned him and where he wants him to go. And the book begins with this commissioning. Jonah's told to go and preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh. Now, at this point, I think he's a wee bit Belfast and changed his name to Jonah because he just keeps saying no. He just keeps saying no, Jonah. He just, he just wants to run. And instead of going to Nineveh where Mosul would be, he runs west. He goes as far as he could. Tarshish is like, I think it's somewhere like southeastern coast of Spain. Some of you guys could probably tell me that a wee bit better. But the reality is he just wants to escape. He wants to run from home um, to forget and abandon the people who is positioned right around him. He was separating himself. He was splitting. He was trying to get out of there without a second thought, without a conversation. He just wants to run. And for a moment there, we pause. And he's running from the people God wants him to reach, the people who are around him. Because reality is, it was only 600 miles away. When I read Jonah, I thought he had to take six boats and, and probably swim a bit and go to the other side of the world. It was only 600 miles away. And you're automatically drawn to Acts 1 and 8, where it talks about, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What, where is our Jerusalem? Where is your home, your work, your community? Have perhaps we been running? Is there times we've been avoiding? Like, does that not make you tired? Like, I know there's times where I've just felt done in because of all the avoidance and separating. Who will be the, those carriers of joy, of hope, of restoration if we keep separating ourselves from the ones who are around us? You see, this is the man of God running from God and it's opposite to what we would expect from reading any part of scripture. It's more than the fish. And the second thing that Jonah does, he sleeps. Not the really nice passage, not that it was nice in the storm and Jesus goes to sleep, but he's Jesus and he carries peace. That's different. Jonah is choosing to sleep. He boards a ship of these pagan sailors finds a place somewhere, lies down, and he sleeps. And the thing is, God sends the storm to get his attention, to wake him up. And the truth is, even the sailors who didn't really know God at all, they're discerning. They realize there's something bigger at work here. They're wanting to know whose fault it is and who to blame. As David's already nodded to today, there is, a, like, church, there's a storm raging outside, and it's calling for us to wake up to wake up and to wake the lion up, which is inside us. Sometimes we have distanced ourselves. Sometimes we have separated ourselves. Some of us have maybe found a place to lay our heads down and go asleep. But we need to note there is an awakening happening within the global church. The fastest church growing is in Iran. There's thousands coming, hundreds of thousands coming to Christ in China. But here in the Western world, it seems like we've found our comfortable corners, climbed under our decks and hidden away from the storm and simply just fallen asleep. But we need to be reminded that we are the church and we need to rise up and take our place in his story where there isn't an awakening happening. We're not to miss it. He is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It won't overcome it. The sailors were awake to everything that was going on. Those positioned around us, 
even if you think about your context of your work, wherever you're, well, in Rich Hill, you know, in your schools, wherever that might be, people are awake to what's happening. They are awake to what's coming onto their media and they're crying out for help and direction amidst the storm. They're looking for answers, for hope, for assurance. Let's wake up, get the sleep out of our eyes and introduce them to Jesus. And the third thing that we can take away from Jonah, I am firing through this, is um, his selfishness. I didn't mean for it all to begin with S, by the way. It must be being married to a preacher. It just happened, naturally. Um, but it's his, self, his selfishness. After the sailors find out that Jonah is the reason for their tor- turmoil in, in verse 9 in chapter 3, it, it explains, uh, he starts explaining like this absolute nonsense to make him sound holier than I. He, he starts explaining um, this religious, like, drivel. He's, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. It's hilarious at this point, he acknowledges who God is, the creator God, the creator God who made the sea, the land, and here he is trying to run away from creator God on a boat. Um, but naturally, the sailors ask, but what do we do? And Jonah, oh, kill me. <laughs> and first of all, kill me, pick me up, throw me in the sea, it's all my fault. You'd almost think he was being really noble that it was nearly like sacrificial, he's some type of hero, until you realize that this could probably be his most selfish move yet. Because what better way to avoid going to Nineveh to the place God has called you to? And the sailors are put in this predicament. They may be pagan, but they're not murderers. And all of a sudden there's blood in their hands, guilt in their hearts, and they try to row back, but they can't. So they're forced to throw Jonah overboard. But as they do that, they are the ones who repent. And unlike Jonah, they worship God. In the normal circumstance, Jonah would have died, but everything in the book of Jonah is just upside down. And as one one preacher puts it, Jonah's sinking death is his passage back to life. And as Jonah is sinking in his selfishness, God continues with his interruptive plan and provides the stomach of a large fish. But it's more than a fish. God's heart for his people is greater than Jonah and his selfishness. So can selfishness stop us? Absolutely. And I'm guilty of it. I've had to repent of it myself. I'm worried about my reputation. I don't put others' needs before my own when I should. But God's heart for his people is greater than my selfishness. It was greater than Jonah's selfishness. And what I've actually found in hindsight, because hindsight's a real gift sometimes, it's a shame it doesn't come sooner, is that selfishness can lead to sabotage. Intentionally, sometimes I put little effort into talking to someone about Jesus or inviting them to church or extending my table and giving them a seat. Our selfishness can just lead to self-sabotage. You look at Jonah and you see our God of second, third and infant chances, chances time after time. And he recommissions him to go and to speak to Nineveh. But selfishness soon turns to sabotage and we watch the promise, baker, the promise breaker versus the promise keeper play out. And Jonah never apologizes because he's not that type of guy. He never, he never apologizes, but he did promise this. He promised he would obey. And even the fish, even God can't really pallet Jonah and his lukewarmness. And then we see that the fish vomits, vomits him out on the dry land. Automatically, we're drawn to Revelation, aren't we, in the lukewarm church? Just can't be palleted. But anyway, he's chucked out of the fish's mouth. And he heads to this large city of Nineveh, and like he promises that city, it would take three days to get around it. But Jonah wants in and out, wants nothing to do with him. He doesn't care about them. And day one, this is his message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
in Hebrew, it's a five-word sermon. I'm sure you're saying I wish this was five words. Would you ever sit down? But in Hebrew, that's what it means. It will be overturned. It's short. It's odd. There's no mention of their sin. They're not taught how to respond. Or they're not even spoken to about God. There's no effort. And it was absolutely intentional. He was trying to sabotage exactly what God had sent him to do. But the promise keeper with his agape love turns Jonah's plans upside down. And no sooner had he finished his five-word sermon, the king, the entire city, even cows repent. You see, kind of, I, I do believe God does have a sense of humor. And the last word of this sermon is overturned and in Hebrew, it's hapak. And it means just that, turned over. You can read it in places like Hosea where Ephraim couldn't turn over their bread. It's in, in passages like Sodom and Gomorrah were overthrown and destroyed. Or in Psalm 30 and 1, it's used when, when it talks about grief being turned into mourning. Hapak. It's exactly how God intended it. And you can just feel this dynamic through the whole scripture of the promise breaker and the promise keeper. And it intensifies. And Jonah is raging. He is fuming. Really, really angry. And in Jonah 4, he tells God, he tells God, and the story tells us for the first time why he probably ran away. And it's not because he was afraid. It's not because he was being a tube. It was rather because God is so merciful and so gracious, he couldn't handle that. And he quotes God's description of himself back in Exodus. It says, God forgive how he forgives his people in Israel and renews his covenant because he's the promise keeper. He quotes it back to him. I am Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Like Jonah's raging, when we read that, that's him throwing it back to God. You know, Jonah wouldn't have survived as an Israelite had God not been like this. We wouldn't be here today if God wasn't like this. And at that point, Jonah shuts down the conversation. He prays that God would kill him because he can't, he physically can't live with a God who forgives his enemies. He gets it. Regardless of his separating, of his sleeping, of his selfishness, Jonah gets it. He gets the scandal of grace. And the story absolutely exposes the dark side, if you want to call it that, of God's mercy and grace and the fastness of it. See, I can accept that Jesus is like this to me and probably most of you in the room because you're really lovely people. But can I accept it with the people who have really hurt me or my enemies or as we try not to take sides, but maybe you do when you read the paper and look at social media. God doesn't give Jonah his request to die, but instead he asks him if his anger is justified. And Jonah really runs up that hill. He's running up that hill just to see if they'll get destroyed. And that's really what he was doing. He wants to see if it would be overturned the other way and God would just destroy them because his sermon was that class, but it wasn't. God did the exact opposite. But what stops us from reaching the lost, being missional at home? Like, do we separate ourselves? Do we intentionally fall asleep? Are we selfish? Or could it be that we're just silent? Do we choose to be silent? And maybe a lot of reasons why we are silent. Maybe it's bitterness, unforgiveness. But what happens if we don't deal with that stuff is that it shuts us up and it shuts us down. And you wouldn't question what happened next if Creator God wasn't all over it. I'll not go into it now. LJ read it all about a plant, like who really cares? But Jonah got really attached to this really random plant and he gets really emotional about it. And for the first time in the whole book, he's really, really happy until this must have been a massive worm came and ate this plant. 
And God asks him, like, aren't humans more valuable? Like, is it not okay for me to feel like this about the people in Nineveh? And this is how the story ends. Jonah in silence. We don't actually know really what happened. But if we spend too much time wondering over that, we'll miss the point completely. You see, the book of Jonah isn't all about Jonah and it is more than the fish. It's about us. God's people, and are we living in response to God's questions? It's like holding a mirror up to the one who's reading it. Am I okay with the hard fact that God loves my enemies? God loves my enemy, and does he expect me to do that? Absolutely, yes, because it's the core of the gospel. It's forgiveness. God isn't only God over one nation, and his love and mercy flows beyond Israel, flows beyond Rich Hill, it flows beyond Portadown. It overflows to our enemies and to the rest of the world. See, his love knows no bound. It's revolutionary, transcends human boundaries that God should care for all of these people. He cares for children, and in this passage, he cares for animals. In a divided, broken world, it is the upside-down upside kingdom. But have we been silenced? And just ministry has taught us this. I invite you to join me in trying to live a life that is difficult, but to grow, to live better by being better by not being bitter. And it, it takes practice. I'm not saying I am there yet. Absolutely not. But I wonder if there's a way sometimes if we take a step back that we can actually be thankful for our enemies and, 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 and the perspective that they perhaps give us. So could encourage you to take a new perspective, to live in the opposite spirit, to react with a kingdom mindset. And it's difficult sometimes because I don't know all of your stories. I'm sure many people in here have been really extremely hurt. But a simple practice is this, is just saying, God, I choose to forgive. Have no idea what that might look like. But here I am, and this is what I'm choosing. And it'll come with risk and discomfort. You know, if you're waiting on destruction to happen, it's not going to because that's not our God. But if you decide to take a journey of discovery, you'll have followers. People will want to follow that. So in closing, wrapping up the whole thing, it's a really unique and remarkable story is our Jonah. But God has the last words. He speaks last. And what this has reminded me as I was coming into this, the conversation is still open. The conversation with Abba is still open. And what I felt him saying, my spirit, as I was praying and prepping for today, is this is what stops me hurts them. What stops me hurts them. And just like you and I, our enemies will have generations that follow them as well. What does that look like if, if, um, if we were like Jonah and we'd rather die in, in our silence or in our own forgiveness? Or... Who are we to ignore that God is merciful? Because what stops me hurts them. Whether it be my separating, my sleeping, my selfishness, my silence. Listen to God's words in that passage of Jonah. It says, should I not have concern? Just pause there and fill up, end it whatever way you want. Should I not have concern for the approximate 7 million people living on our island? Should I not have concern for the 4,000 children, young people in our care system and what put them there? Should I not have concern for the innocent lives that are horrendously being stolen at this moment in various wars? It's tough and it's sore. But the conversation is still open and God is still speaking. And what wins? Agape wins. Psalm 68 and 5, Father to the fatherless, defender of the windows. Windows? Windows. Micah 6 and 8, the mission of living, acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly. 
And going back to the beginning, what wins loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds and all of our strength. It's countercultural, but that's exactly what's required of us. So what stops us hurts them. And I suppose my ask for you, for you who are already doing it and for some who want to join in is let's bring justice home and live counterculturally, the upside down kingdom and show what it is, a reflection of who Jesus is and how he loves. I'm just going to invite Neil, are you closing? Or David, are you closing? I don't know who's going to.